feisty, fearless, and fair, telling all sides of the story. This is the Rita Cosby Show. Action-packed show tonight on the Rita Cosby Show. First off, Bravo USA. I was watching the World Cup earlier today. I will say it's one of the few times that I was also cheering for the Iranian team and for the people of Iran. Think about the guts and the courage of those soccer players. Uh, they had to sing basically the Iranian anthem because their families being threatened back home to be tortured or beaten. How sad is that? And all I can say is God bless America. Anytime I hear people complain about America and say, oh, America's heavy handed and some folks on the left who criticize how great this country is, we are the greatest country in the world. We're the freest country in the world. I mean, sometimes people say things that we don't like. I have many people who call into the show that have different views than some of you and definitely different views than I do. But we can all talk freely. We can all express freely. And I was thinking about it so much when I was watching the World Cup today. I watch a lot of soccer, by the way. I used to live in Spain. So I went to a couple different soccer matches there when I lived in Sevilla, Spain, a number of years ago for college. And it was great to watch it today. I mean, it was a great game. I was happy that the USA won. I just hope that when the Iranians go back to their home country, uh, these soccer players, I hope that they're okay. I hope their families are okay. And, of course, I am also praying for the protesters. Meantime, by the way, tonight we are going to be talking a little bit later on about Trump and his meeting that so many people are raising hay over with Kanye West, who goes by Yay, of course, now, and also with some of these other individuals, too, and some who have definitely said distasteful, disgusting things. And already so many people are jumping on President Trump for having this meeting. He says, listen, I didn't even know that these other people were going to show up. Kanye West is an old friend of mine. And here is Congressman Ruben Gallego, who couldn't wait to take a swipe at President Trump on MSNBC a little bit ago. So Donald Trump, by doing that, in my opinion, basically says in himself, especially because he doesn't denounce it, that he himself is a white supremacist, that he himself is an anti-Semite, and he should be ashamed of himself. Now, who shouldn't also be ashamed for himself, for themselves, is the rest of the Republican Party. Donald Trump is going to protect himself because that's human nature. Yes. But the fact that the Republican Party has not come out and set and stood up and actually, you know, yes. said something about Donald Trump inviting an anti-Semite and, and Kanye uh, and a white supremacist and the other little guy. Uh, tells you a lot about who the Republican Party uh, is. It sounds like you couldn't even remember all the people's names. If you're going to start criticizing people, at least you should name them. And yeah, there were a number of distasteful people there that clearly showed up for that dinner. Again, Donald Trump says he was only planning on meeting Kanye. He didn't even know who some of these other people were. Um, I didn't know who a couple of the names were either myself. So we're going to get into that later on in the hour and also talk about Donald Trump's record with the Jewish state, which I can tell you firsthand is extremely powerful. And I do not believe he's an anti-Semite. So we're going to get into that later on in the hour here and also into the next hour on the Rita Cosby Show. Meantime, really interesting stuff coming out of New York. We have talked about so many of the crimes of late that have taken place 
all over New York City. I think about the case, remember, of that woman, the EMT worker who was suddenly beaten. Remember, the guy came out of nowhere and started attacking her, stabbing her, uh, Lieutenant Allison Russo Elling. And suddenly, you know, in her uniform, she was stabbed to death. This happened back in September. And it turned out the guy had a history of mental illness. How about also some of the other cases of late? Uh, That deranged man who pushed the Asian woman to death at a Times Square subway station. That was horrible. Showed he had a mental history. Of course, you got to be mentally deranged to do that. And then in addition, remember the guy who opened fire on the subway and injured so many people uh, last year as well? And all the different stories and all the things that came out about him and his history. Yes, clearly, a lot of the people that are on the street or, you know, go through the cracks in the system, whether it's in New York or elsewhere, yes, they have mental illness. And often they are really a danger, not just to themselves, but to others. And I'm happy to see that New York City is finally starting to crack down at least a little bit more to get individuals basically involuntarily committed because at a certain point, listen, you go over to these people and say, oh, no, 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 I'm fine. They don't want to go anywhere. They don't want to leave. They don't want to, you know, move. Um, some of them don't know even where to go. You know, I have a lot of sympathy for people who've come down and hard on their luck. On the other hand, these people, there are many people, if you just walk the streets of New York and so many places across the country, you can see that there are people that clearly are violent that clearly are on drugs, that are definitely a danger, again, not just to themselves, but to society. And I'm happy that Mayor Eric Adams came down a little bit ago and made this comment about the mentally ill. Take a listen. Those suffering from severe mental illness have more than a right to exist or survive. They have a right to health care, housing, and treatment, a right to dignity and respect a right to safety and security, and above all, a right to hope. And society has a right to make sure that they are taken also off the streets because, again, we have seen so many of these cases of late. Here's a little more of the mayor. My administration is determined to do more to assist people with mental illness, especially those with untreated psychotic disorders, pose a risk of harm to themselves, even if they are not an imminent threat to the public. And how do you determine that? And does this go far enough? Well, joining us now here on the Rita Cosby Show to talk about this very serious issue that, of course, is not just affecting New York, but basically almost every U.S. city. And we see it again in New York on every single block, the amount of homeless and also the amount of crime associated with those clearly with mental illness. Joining us now is the great New York City Councilman. He is from Queens, Democrat Bob Holden. Councilman, thanks so much for being here. Hey, Reed. It's, it's a pleasure to be back on. It's, uh, uh, it's been a while. It's been a few months. It is, and I'm missing you, and that's why I was like, yeah. I got to have my favorite councilman on. And, you know, <laughs> I'm so proud of you. You always fight the good fight. Um, and this issue, I know, is something that's really important to you, and you also understand how serious it is, not just to the individuals, um, but there are also many of them sort of ticking time bombs, if you will, for other individuals. We have seen these. I just was reciting a few off the top of my head. 
But there are sadly so many of these cases of late, Councilman. And then anybody that takes the New York City subways or even walks the streets, we see it every day. Like you said, ticking time bombs, waiting to go off. They're riding our subways. They're walking our streets. They're talking to themselves. They're screaming. They come into a subway car. I was on a subway the other day. They come, they, one guy comes in and starts screaming and, and yelling. And you don't know what he's going to do. You, you have no idea. And you're trapped. So, you know, it, the serious mental illness, by the way, Rita, if it left untreated will only get worse. It has to get worse. So you have to treat it. And we're, we haven't been doing that. Under the uh, de Blasio administration, I felt like I was hitting my head against the wall at these hearings because they would say, all the administration of de Blasio's uh, people, their deputy mayors and, and commissioners would say, oh, we don't want to infringe on the right of these individuals. Like, we just have to treat them but wait a minute. We have a law. It was called Kendra's Law. Kendra Webdale was a woman who was standing on a platform in January of 1999 in New York City and was shoved in front of an oncoming subway train. It was in Queens. The individual who killed her, Arthur Goldstein, he attempted to get help. He had serious mental illness, but he was turned away over and over again. And, and de Blasio was doing the same thing. That Kendra Webdale, that, that Kendra's Law, was in existence and the great, our great former governor, the last great governor we had in New York State was Governor George Pataki. He signed that into law in 1999, and de Blasio would not use it for eight years, seriously. And, and I'm glad we convinced Mayor Adams to really start to use that, because we have to do something. It, it is a bad situation everywhere in New York City. How did they also, you know, one of the things that's when I was reading about this, uh, Councilman Bob Holden, is the whole background of now they're like training, I guess, EMS workers, particularly um, police, to be able to have the authority to remove individuals. As you know, that's very complex, too, because a lot of these people, uh, they don't want to be removed. Some of them are looking for help, obviously, but a lot of them clearly don't want to be removed. Um, and you got to have good training to be able to deal with these people because who knows what's going to happen if you try to physically take them somewhere. Right, and my, some of my colleagues in the New York City Council don't want the police to respond. So I understand that, but you don't. You never know when a situation is going to go south. When something is going to happen, the person will just snap and get very, very violent. They're schizophrenic. You know, they're, they're, they have such issues, and God knows why it's happening, but I think it has to do with some drugs that people have taken in the past, and they, everything starts to deteriorate, including their mental health. But we can't just have EMS workers, ambulance you know, people come and try to treat these individuals because they get violent. We need the police to support it. But again, we're in a situation in, you know, in, in this country, it's not only in New York City, but there's a serious uh, issue with mental health in this country. And we have fentanyl coming you know, through our southern border. We're not cutting that off. This administration is not dealing with that. So we have 100, over 100,000 people that, that have perished um, taking drugs in this country. It's, a, it's an epidemic. And yet we're, we're not really treating it. So I'm glad that Mayor Adams is starting to do it. We'll see if it, it makes a difference. But it, there's gonna, it's going to take a lot of money and a lot of resources. But you need the will to do it. That means you, you have to force people off the streets 
and put them in an outpatient or an inpatient treatment program to deal with the mental health. Yeah, there is no question about it. So what's going to happen with the fact, as you brought up, Councilman, that the New York City Council doesn't think that the police should respond? Where is that resolved? Because clearly you want somebody with experience. The last thing you want, I remember, uh, was it one of the council folks who was saying, well, if you see somebody deranged, here's how you de-escalate it. Hey, didn't we go to high school together? Uh, what are you drinking there? What's your favorite ice cream? You think you, you don't want to engage with these people. Uh, that's and- fantasy land. You, you really can't do that because lives are at stake here. And you think you're going to talk somebody, somebody that's uh, mentally ill, you think you're going to talk them down? Um, we, we uh, again, and the last administration did not recognize that, did not want to deal with that. But now we do have a mayor that I think will turn things around. I'm hoping, I'm praying. Uh, he's, you know, I've mentioned it to him a number of times when he was a candidate, and then now he's been mayor for, um, you know, just under a year. We have to tackle this, and we have to do it the right way. It will take resources. It will take a resolve. And the first thing is getting a mayor to understand that. And the last mayor, he, Mayor de Blasio, really, he had eight years of, the, of tearing this city down. We were the safest big city in the country. And you know it, and we, we've seen a, a marked difference. But we saw what we needed to do. We have a blueprint in the, in the 1990s. You know, Mayor Giuliani, when he came in, he turned this city around, and that's what we need for Mayor Adams now. And I wonder also, like, between COVID and between also um, inflation, uh, people harder on their luck, all of these issues, I think, have also contributed. And you hit it on the head also, Councilman, with drugs, because I feel like there's not a single day that I don't walk down the street of New York and smell marijuana or or who knows what else I'm smelling. Um, I'm telling you, it is it is everywhere. And I never felt that way. And I think I hope also the mayor understands how pervasive this is, because there's not like this is not like a little pocket of New York City. This these are major. uh, This is going to be a lot of people and a lot of people fit in the category that you and I are talking about. Yeah. And there's lawlessness in our streets. People just the way they drive, the way they are behaving uh, It's It's a bad situation. We really need to go back to the broken windows style of policing where you you know, get the fair jumpers, get the get the uh, graffiti vandals, get all the, the smaller crimes, start enforcing those, and then you'll start to get order back on our streets. But you, you've seen a, a mark. You're in New York City. You've seen, like me, it's crazy out there now. It's crazy all over the country. It, it's gotten to the situation where we really need to crack down on the smaller crimes and start handling mental health. And It's a bad situation. I just, you know, I've seen this. You know, we we lived through this. I lived through it in the 70s and 80s in New York City. We did straighten it out, again, through Mayor Rudy Giuliani. And I'm a Democrat, and I'm saying that because it's true. I lived through it. And, uh, again, it's beyond party. It's beyond politics. Let's, Let's really get our city back here. One thousand percent. Councilman Bob Holden, you are terrific. It's always great to have you here on the show. And thank you for always fighting the good fight. Thank you. Thanks, Rita. Thank Thank you. you. Great to have you here. When we come back, everybody, what do you make of this new decision? First of all, I applaud. Obviously, I think Mayor Adams, it's the right move. Uh, You just heard from Councilman Bob Holden agreeing to as well. Uh, The question is, there's a lot of mentally ill that are roaming the streets of New York 
And so many of them indeed are doing drugs. They're committing crimes. It is a massive undertaking. And can you believe that the New York City Council, as Councilman Holden was just saying, that they don't want the police officers to be the ones addressing those who are mentally ill? Are you kidding me? Uh, what, are you going to train like a, like a grandmother or somebody to like, oh, uh, sir, how are you? I mean, this is nuts. But I'm glad that they're getting a wake-up call because, boy, it is pervasive on every single corner, not just New York, but L.A., everywhere around the country, guys. We're going to be taking your calls, 1-800-848-9222, 1-800-848-9222. It's about time. The Rita Cosby Show on the Red Apple Podcast Network. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Cosby Show, and we are talking, of course, about a very serious issue about getting those who are severely mentally ill off the streets. And I can't think of a more, like, important issue right now, especially if you go across any big city across this country. You see so many homeless individuals. Some of them are high as a kite. Um, You feel like you're in a sign out of, uh, like, zombie apocalypse. They're like, oh, you know, like, Little girl, come over here. You know, speaking of the song. And it is just a scary time. And a lot of them, sadly, are also committing crimes. And we were just talking about a number of the cases. I was thinking about also the Frank James case. That was the New York City subway case in April where the guy opened fire on 10 people. And then he said, I was trying to get help, uh, but I couldn't get it. And it's unclear if he was trying to get help at all, if they were sending him back out on the streets But now a new policy coming down from Mayor Eric Adams, and you just heard getting support of uh, the great city councilman, uh, Bob Holden, who was on with us just a few moments ago, and others uh, coming forward and saying that now they will have basically the initiative in New York City, at least, and they want to try to codify it into New York state law, that they will at least be able to involuntarily commit people to hospitals to get care. In other words, if that person appears to be violent, even if they don't want to be taken somewhere, now the police and others will be able to take them. The big hitch is who actually does the taking. Um, How tough is it going to be to get some of these people off the street? Some are looking for help. Some don't want help. Um, So, And some get awfully violent if you even talk to them, period. 
Um, so what kind of training are law enforcement getting? And you just also heard from Councilman Bob Holden talking about the fact that city council, some people on the very liberal New York City Council that are loony Kazooniville think that police shouldn't be the ones responding. I mean, that's like, remember Minneapolis, when that whole thing happened in Minneapolis and all the fight for defund the police? They said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to have not police officers go respond to basic traffic stops. We're going to have citizen, basically, diplomats, if you will, be the ones who are stopping them. And that lasted about five minutes, maybe four minutes, because they suddenly realized that a basic traffic stop could turn out to be something really dangerous, And often, as any law enforcement, and many of you who listen to the show, you're law enforcement because we love you. And I think about how many times you have been in a difficult situation and what just looked like a basic traffic stop. And suddenly the thing went haywire. Somebody, it was a dangerous person being stopped or they pulled out a weapon or something happened. And that's why that stopped in Minneapolis awfully quickly and other places around the country where they've tried to find substitutes for law enforcement. And now the New York City Council is talking about, well, maybe someone other than police should be the ones removing homeless. I think it has to be police. And it has to be police who are well-trained and experts in this area because these people are unpredictable. Some of them are high as a kite. And it's extremely dangerous. And you don't know. Talk about unpredictable. These people, many of them, super unpredictable. We're going to take your calls when we come back after our Back the Blue. This is the Rita Cosby Show on the Red Apple Podcast Network. The Rita Cosby Show presents Back the Blue. And in tonight's Back the Blue segment, a powerful story coming from Ocean County, New Jersey, where an off-duty Seaside Park police officer who stopped after seeing an accident in the Toms River Township ended up saving a man's life along with other officers and Good Samaritans helping him as well. Horst Szczepinski, I can pronounce that because I am half Polish, 78 years old of South Toms River, was driving on Route 37 when he ran off the road and onto the center median, hitting several light stanchions, and his vehicle wound up in a very busy intersection. Police said it appeared that Chispinski had suffered a medical problem when the officer, Ryan Stack, who was off-duty, pulled up to the crash. He ran over to the vehicle. He assessed the damage and immediately broke the vehicle window. Then, with the help of bystanders, they pulled Chispinski out of the vehicle, and the officer started CPR on him. Patrol officers also then soon afterwards rely, uh, got to the scene. They came with oxygen and also a defibrillator, and they took over. Thankfully, Shispinski regained a pulse and was alert and talking to medics on the way to the hospital and is said to be doing okay. What a great, great story. And just amazing that the off-duty officer just happened to see that accident, ran to help. And I also love the fact that also many good Samaritans who were in the area came to the aid as well. What a great, great story and an important story about the great work our men and women in blue do when they're on duty and also when they are off duty. And we were just talking about this new decision that just came down from New York City Mayor Eric Adams. It's a new initiative to help New Yorkers with severe mental illness. Now, he says, obviously, it's to help the individuals. 
um, because many of them, you know, are, you know, so mentally ill, they don't realize the condition they're in, they don't realize the condition that they're sitting in or sleeping on the streets or wherever they are. Um, and so it will help them. But it will also help society because a lot of these people are seriously violent. They are mentally ill. They are severely psychotic. We have seen a number of cases of late, sadly, with the subways and elsewhere where psychotic individuals or at least people with clear mental illness um, and some that have even been in the system and then were released. Uh, it's like, how do these people get released and they're back out? And then the next thing you know, they reoffend. They have these enormous rap sheets. Um, many people who commit crimes do. Not all of them, but there are a good portion of them. So now there is also the city council, as Councilman Bob Holden, who was here on the show, was saying that a lot of people didn't want the police to really be involved in the response, that they prefer other individuals to do it. And I contend you got to have not just regular police do it. You have to have well-trained police officers do it. You don't want to have a neophyte young police officer. Suddenly you've got a big homeless guy who is high as a kite and is on who knows what kind of drugs these days. Um, and gets violent or has a weapon. or I mean, there's so many things that are unknown, and you have to have people who are very, very well-trained, which is what the councilman was talking about, too. And I say it's about time, because how many times do you walk down many major streets in this country, many of them, again, with liberal leaders, um, and you look at how downhill, like a place like New York City has gone, uh, not just under Bill de Blasio, but just everything between COVID and between um, them being soft on those people who are homeless and, and also reoffenders in general, that revolving door of people who reoffend, they're back out after a few days and nobody is helping them. Nobody's forcing them. And people need to also make sure that if they see somebody who's mentally ill, if it's in their family, they got to start talking. You think about in the Uvalde case, I think about Uvalde, Texas, that young guy in the Uvalde case talking about wanting to kill people. And his parents thought, "Okay, don't you think maybe you should report somebody like that who's loony kazuni? Parents and family members and people in society, teachers, you got to step up, too. Um, You got to help police and law enforcement get these people, uh, whether they're homeless or whether they're living in your home. If they have severe mental illness that poses a threat to themselves and others, It is too risky. Well, here is Mayor Eric Adams talking about the reason he feels it's important to do this, especially for those who are homeless or mentally ill, uh, that just he believes also deserve a second chance. Let me be clear. When we hospitalize those in crisis, it will be with a sense of mission to help them heal and prepare them for an appropriate community placement. We can't just stabilize people for a few days and send them back out into the city. We must build a continuum of care that helps patients transition into step-down programs and eventually into supportive housing. And I 1,000% agree that would be great. Uh, But also, guess what? You got to make sure that if people are a danger to others that they don't get back out on the streets. You know, I mean, some of them, I, I could tell in one second if they're a loony kazuni, some of these people. 1-800-848-9222. Uh, let's go to Christine on line three. Christine, your thoughts about all this? Rita, thank you. And thank God 
that Mayor Adams has come to this uh, realization. I know. I was I was so happy when I saw that. My first thought was, what took you so long, you know? Well, I've been calling and calling and calling for years. I've been a psychiatric nurse since 1975. Oh, wow. Bravo, by the way, to you, because that is very tough work. Bravo, bravo, Christine. I was born to do it. Wow. And I have to say that I've been working in every hospital. I started in Bellevue Psychiatry in 75. I've worked in every city hospital in quality management, pulling them up by the bootstraps. And back when a lot of the hospitals were closed during the Bloomberg administration, the psychiatric centers were demolished and closed that uh, Bloom, uh, Bloom, under Mayor Bloomberg's administration, uh, the Payne Whitney Clinic was bulldozed. Uh, Bernstein Institute at Beth Israel was was gone. You know, Christine, uh, you bring up a good point because um, uh, for a while, like you just said, there were not the resources. Do do we have the resources now to house them? And and I'm curious from your professional standpoint, Christine. How many people do you think qualify under this category where they are so severely ill um, that they're a danger to themselves or, you know, or or just such hideous conditions or a danger to others? Well, that there are many of them, as everybody knows. But what we need are people like myself that are trained and qualified to intervene and uh, that police could be trained appropriately so that they can do this successfully. We need to restore treatment centers where these people can be evaluated by professional psychiatric personnel, uh, stabilized on medication, and then, as Mayor Adams pointed out, sent to aftercare so that this doesn't keep recurring. They have something called Fountain House, which I think is the best example. Oh, yeah, sure, absolutely, yep. Uh, but this never materializes. One fountain house. They closed state hospitals. Many of the nurses that were working during this closure of all these hospitals were pushed out. And uh. I don't even know where they are. That we have a dearth of nurses, and the ones that are being trained now, in my opinion, are not as good as, as the ones that that used to be. How, the- how do you, how do you approach people like this, Christine? Too because. Um, you know, a lot of them, especially as we've seen in some of these latest, really some of the most hideous crimes that we've seen of late, have clearly been mentally deranged people, some of them who were even diagnosed with mental illness. Um, right, they're psychotic. Yes. They're out of touch with reality. So how do you, how do, how do a police approach them? How, how difficult is it to remove them from the streets? It's not difficult to remove them from the streets. That's not the, the issue. They have always been removed from the streets when the hospitals were available. It's keeping and them. And taken to psychiatric emergency rooms, evaluated, admitted, and treated, and, and had follow-up care. This was all stopped when they closed all these hospitals hospitals and push the nurses out. So, but my question to you is now, can do we have the facilities to keep them? Do we now, is, have, are things better? Like, is there enough locations to take That's as many as needed? That's a question. I don't know, but I want to find out because we, have we replaced, have we substituted? Have we done anything to repair the damage that has been done? And to train people so that they can. I, I worked for all these years as a psychiatric nurse. I was in seclusion rooms. I was never once hit, ever, in my entire career by a, a psychiatric patient because I know how to approach them. I can train other people how to do this. Wow. But 
people like myself were pushed out. I don't even know where they are now. And now we have this horrible problem. I've been calling uh, political offices, representatives, saying, help, help, help. You can't leave them to die out in the street. One thousand percent. And by the way, Christine, I just want to say bravo to all the amazing work um, that you have obviously done through the years. And we need people like you uh, now more than ever, um, given the situation of so many people, like as you just said, and and also for training other people, too, with your valuable resources. I just hope and pray that there are enough facilities now. Um, you know, you can sit there and say, OK, we want to do this, but do we have the right places to take all these people? And as you pointed out, there was a dearth, as we all know, uh, for quite some time. Has that changed? And I hope uh, for everybody's sake it has, for those mentally ill and also for society, too. Christine, thank you. What a what a really important call. Thank you very much. Let's go to David in L.A., line four. David, your thoughts. Please don't cut me off too fast because you're not like you're not going to like what I have to say. Oh, David! This but is, David, sometimes sometimes I'll let you go longer if that's the case. Go I, ahead. I know. <laughs> I hope this is one of those times where it's a conversation. Okay, so it's a slippery slope. Now I'm not talking about people that are on drugs. That's illegal. If you're doing crime, that's illegal. What I don't like is to say, even if you're not a threat to yourself or others, that's scary. That's not America anymore. Who decides what degree on a scale of one to 10 are you mentally ill enough to be taken against your will when you're not doing anything? And no, that's a great point. That's a great point, David. You're right. Who determines that? Keep going, because that is a very powerful point. You know, this is America, and you just can't have cops going up to people. Hey, who do you like, the Jets or the Giants? You know, wrong answer. You're going in. Are these cops now going to have four years of psychiatric training? And you're right that you just can't have social services do it by themselves. So there's not enough cops to be paired with these mental health people to be walking around the streets, rounding people up if they don't have the right look in their eye. And there's not enough hospitalization because Eric Adams, I know about putting people on temporary hold if they're a danger to themselves or others. And I'm not against that, but to say, and not just for a short period. So are you talking about months of hospitalizing people to try to rehabilitate them? There's no hospitalizations. There's not enough room for that, and there's not enough people to do it, and it's unrealistic. So, gee, it feels good to say that we're going to do this, but, you know, there's so much more that the mayor can do. What about stop and frisk? What about the undercover units that he won't allow to happen? We got people with guns and knives doing real crimes, and, yes, we do have have psychotic people that will lash out at you. Let's focus on that instead of just deciding, you know, holding up a swatch and saying, you look crazy. You're coming with us. That is no longer America. No, those are great points. David, thank you very much. I'm really glad you called in because you're right. Who determines it? And and where are they going to go? How long are they going to be kept? Who's funding it? And, and you brought up some the whole undercover crimes unit and stop and frisk. I hear you and I agree with you. Uh, on both of those points, um, because both of those are valuable tools that need to be in the police toolbox, and that needs to come back fast and quick. And and also, him talking sort of both sides of his mouth on, uh, you know, no cash bail. You know, I want to see the mayor get a lot tougher, because that needs to change, too. Because if somebody does the crime, then they need to do the time. 
you know, and this like soft on crime, being nice to Alvin Bragg ain't going to work. It's not going to help New York City or any city across this country. And you've got uh, you've got another Soros back DA where you are, Gascon, so you know all too well. David, thank you very much. Let's go to Tom, line six. Tom, your thoughts about all this. David brought up some great points, like who determines the person's loony and, and how important it is to have cops there, don't you think, Tom? Yes, very important, actually. The police are so important when it comes to mental illness incidents. You know, a lot of years ago, I was on a, um, I was on a bridge on the outside of railing, and this cop was calm, very patient, wouldn't let me climb the bridge anymore. I was trying to get up higher to jump, and uh, he basically saved my life. You know, and uh, oh my god, I got to give everything to the, I got to give everything to the cops on that. You know, it 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 happened sometime in the future. It happened, something else happened, but. It was also a cop that uh, that got me through it. Well, Tom, first, first me, off, but, you know. well, before you go further, I just want to say thank God there was a cop there, and thank God he talked you through it. And I'm I'm so glad that you're you're with us here um, because I think your your own experience is such a powerful one of that when you have somebody um, who who's experienced and and caring too, as our law enforcement mm-hmm. is, um, to be able to much. help a great person like you that that makes me so happy. Um, to hear um, that you did not continue further, obviously. And, and what a great testament for you to call in now and have the courage to talk about it now. What, what Dave said was, um, is true. Uh, you don't want people just rounded up, but cops are trained very well. Uh, they are the most trained um, law enforcement agency, diversely trained law enforcement agency, because we have such a large city and a large diversity here. So we, I know the New York City Police Department trains them very well, and yes, they can do more. And they they probably will. They're actually offered classes um, every so often. They're offered mental health classes and stuff for people that might be in that in that area in that realm. And what I want to say about the cops is, I, I was a vet, I'm a veteran, and I, I spent 16 plus years in the military. And I tell you, it, it's my daughter's a cop, and it's just, it's, I'm so proud of people said that are cops. I mean, yeah, they're people of people, you know, and and. There's diversity in people as well, and then maybe they don't have the skills to do that, but there are many cops out there that have the patience and the training to do this. And I think that the police need to be there, not only because they're tough and they need to be when they need to be, but they're also soft and they know how to talk to people. They really do. Absolutely. And and you are a testament to that, my friend. How wonderful that you called in. And by the way, thank you for your, obviously, you mentioned 16 years in the military Thank you for your great service and, and obviously your families, too. And, Tom, thank you. Your call is so important tonight. Really, really appreciate hearing from you and look forward to hearing from you more often because it's such a great, important perspective. And when we come back, everybody, we're going to he- take more of your calls. 1-800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. You are listening to The Rita Cosby Show. The Rita Cosby Show. And we are continuing your calls here on the Rita Cosby Show, talking about Mayor Adams with a new initiative to get those who are mentally ill off the streets, those who have severe mental illness, for them to be taken involuntarily, even if so, if their danger appears to themselves or to others. one 800 848 Let's go to Phil, line five. Phil, your thoughts about all this. 
Hi, Rita. Good evening. How are you? Good, good, good. And I always love hearing from you. Another veteran. You're, you're my second or third veteran tonight, and I love it, Phil. Thank you. Okay, here's the deal. Uh, Mayor Adams is very misguided. He wants to drag all these poor people off the streets and throw them into, into psychiatric units on a, on a long-term basis, from what I heard of the news. The thing is, you know, Rita, quite frankly, he's missing the point. You've got a lot of young people between, believe it or not, the ages of 10 and 17 who are not mentally ill, who are not homeless, who are not drug addicted, but they are committing acts of violence against other people. What about the 13-year-old who pushed the 84-year-old woman down the stairs to try to rob her? That's, that's, that's extreme violence. These people need to be put in programs first. You need to clean the streets of these people who walk around freely and are not suspect by the police of being homeless mental cases. And by the way, you have a lot of vets who are homeless, who are very harmless people who don't bother anybody. One thousand percent. You're right. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. I have I have two people I maintain uh, intermittent contact with. These people were so screwed up by what happened in, in Nam. Their whole life changed. They, they lost faith in everything, but they don't hurt nobody. So my point is, if Eric Adams is going to do this, where is he going to put these people? Where is the support of housing? Where are the food programs these people need to eat? Because if you don't eat properly, your brain goes. And the health programs, where's the help? If they walk into emergency rooms, they won't see them. They will not see them. They have Many of them don't have coverage. They don't have money. And they're not going to be seen. So some of them are looking for help. They just don't get it. Adam should focus more on these these non-homeless, non-mentally ill young people who are terrorizing New York City. Well, and I agree with you uh, that the emphasis needs to be on a lot of those people. And and you, you brought up a good point, too. It's like, where are they going next to? We don't know. What kind of facilities will they go to? And as you point out, um, how full, fully funded, how uh, widespread is it with food, medication, all these things? Um, and of course, you know, Phil, whenever I see a, a homeless veteran, um, just like you said, a lot of them are just troubled by what they went through. There's a lot of people that are on the streets that are not harmless, that are just incredible people who just down in their luck or, or mentally upset after what they went through, post-traumatic stress and so many of these things. And obviously those folks, we have to do what we can to help them, uh, but not that they need to be involuntarily locked up. And, and again, who decides what? You know, there, there are so many questions here. Phil, thank you. Really great points. Uh, let's go to Bill, line eight. Bill, your thoughts about this? Hi, Rita. How you doing? Good. What do you think? Uh, Phil brought up some great points. Like, where do you put these people? And who determines who's, you know? Absolutely. And some of the other callers, too. First of all, to say that the police shouldn't be involved in the initial interactions, that's just foolish. Yep, People I agree. That are seriously mentally ill, there's a lot of potential for, uh, for things to be, you know, tense or even worse. And the police, especially in New York, are very well trained in it. They can handle it in the beginning. And, you know, they're not involved in the long-term care. They get them to the hospital where they, they, receive, they should receive the care that they need. And, you know, to Dave's point of, uh, you know, who's deciding what. In New York, there's only two ways to involuntarily commit somebody to a mental facility. First, you need a court order, which means psychiatrists and medical doctors have to come in and prove to the court that these people are dangerous, whether it's to themselves or anybody else. The only other way is when they're in the emergency room, 
two separate psychiatric doctors have to both separately say that they're a danger to themselves. And even when they do that, there's still a court procedure that cut that comes into play. Now, let me ask you, Bill, with this new thing with Mayor Eric Adams, do those things still have to be in place, you believe, too, as well, that that will continue? Continue because, you know, that's that's just the way the law is in New York. That's not going to change. And to Mayor Adams' credit, it's great that he's recognizing the problem and wanting to do something about it. But, you know, it's going to take a lot more than good intentions and, and, and and uh, and planning, like Christine was saying earlier, the facilities and the infrastructure in the healthcare system is not able to handle the the mental health issues. That's really sad because, um, just like you said, we need to have the infrastructure. You can't just take them off. You got to take care of them. We're going to continue this after the break. This is the Rita Cosby Show on the Red Apple Podcast Network. This is the Rita Cosby Show on the Red Apple Podcast Network. And later on in the hour, we're going to be taking your calls about President Trump's very controversial meeting with Kanye West, yay, and also these individuals like uh, Nickel Fuentes um, and a couple others that showed up at the dinner. And I want to get your take on just so many people coming out and basically accusing President Trump and the GOP of being anti-Semitic. Um, I think he shouldn't have met with these individuals, um, especially the these other people. But then Trump said he didn't even know that they were showing up there. Um, so there's a lot of stuff to get into with that. And the politics of it is just pretty profound and over the top in a lot of cases. First of all, obviously, anybody who says anything anti-Semitic is I find it disgusting and reprehensible. And those individuals should be resoundly condemned. And later on in the hour, we're going to be talking with Liz Burney. Um, She is a director of research there with the Zionist Organization of America, which just recently honored President Trump. I was at that gala. And we're going to talk about what he said at that gala and his support of Israel and also her take and the ZOA's take, which is an important take on President Trump and his meeting with Kanye West. And these others who joined Kanye West at this dinner at Mar-a-Lago. Uh, first off, here is Sunny Hostin. She's on The View, so you can imagine where she's going to go with this one. And she basically said, this dinner with Kanye West means that Trump shouldn't be president again. Take a listen. The problem with it is when you provide that kind of access to white supremacists, which is what these two are at this point. Yeah. Because Kanye is also wearing things that say white lives matter. I mean, he's he's, you know, mental problems or not. He has is exhibiting anti-Semitic behavior, bigotry, uh, racism. And so has Nick Fuentes. So I don't think there's an excuse for this. And I would love to hear more Republicans come out and basically just say, this is wrong. And this is yet another reason why this man should never be allowed to be in a position of power, not even a crossing guard. Not even a crossing guard, according to Sonny Hostin. And by the way, speaking of Republicans speaking out 
Mitch McConnell came out and basically gave a comment basically saying that he doesn't believe anyone meeting with anti-Semites unlikely to ever be elected president. So basically inferring that President Trump, not by name, but basically saying that they shouldn't be qualified for president, even though Mitch McConnell's been looking for any excuse to dump on Trump. But here is Kevin McCarthy, uh, likely to be the future House Speaker in the new GOP House starting in January. And this is what he had to say. I don't think anybody should be spending any time with Nick Fuentes. He has no place in this Republican Party. I think President Trump uh, came out four times and uh, condemned him and didn't know who he was. Well, he just said he didn't know who he was. He didn't condemn him or his ideology. Well, I condemn his ideology. It has no place in society. What is your take on that? And what about the former president for deciding to have that dinner? That I, the president didn't know who he was. And, and the president has given a vote. You know what? We're, we're, he's been... So he knew who Conde West did. He didn't know who Fuentes is. And that indeed is what the president's saying, that he didn't know who this guy was. He showed up with Kanye West. Um, I wouldn't know who Nick Fuentes was. Would you know who he was? I don't think you should be with somebody like that. But we'll get into that later on in the show and all of the blowback that now President Trump and others are getting. Is it fair? Is it not fair? Um, I can just tell you from my experience with President Trump, and we're going to talk to ZOA shortly, the Zionist Organization of America. Uh, he's probably been one of Israel's best friends ever. Uh, that's for sure. And we're going to get into some of his accomplishments and what should happen now. How should he handle all of this controversy? 1-800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. Meantime, we are talking about the fact that New York City plans to now hospitalize more mentally ill people in voluntarily as part of a new initiative by Mayor Eric Adams. And who decides who is a danger to themselves and to others? Do we even have the facilities in a place like New York? What about other cities across the country? And how bad is it that these individuals do need to be taken off the streets? There are definitely people, and we've all seen them in many major cities across this country, who indeed are threats not just to themselves but to others. And so many of these individuals who've been like shoving people onto trains and elsewhere clearly have major, major mental illness. So do we have the facilities and is this a long time coming? And what about the revolving door? A number of you were talking about in the last hour, the whole fact of the revolving door, the recidivism that we're seeing over and over again. I haven't seen the mayor at this point talk about that in the scheme of all these other things. It's good to help people that are on the street thousand percent those in need try to help them thousand percent but what about locking these people up especially these repeat offenders and not getting them back out on the streets he keeps saying no well you know that's not my purview that's alvin bragg that's true but you can be a little more vocal you know why i could never be mayor of new york because i'd be out there and i'd say alvin bragg needs to do this i'd be out there picketing in front of his office every single day so maybe I'd last on the job 30 minutes, but it'd be a vocal 30 minutes. 1-800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. Uh, let's go to JC in Pennsylvania. JC, your thoughts about all this, about taking folks off involuntarily, against their will, potentially, off the streets, those who are severely mentally ill. What do you think? 
Rita, of course, you're going to have, you're going to have, to have some sort of parameters and guidelines to determine uh, how what people they're going to take off the street. So, yeah, yeah well, David was right. They can't just have every no, you're right. And, and JC, JC, you got to call us back because you're coming in and out. But I hear you that it's hard to determine. You can't just randomly like grab somebody off the street. How do you decide? Um, and who decides? And they're saying maybe it's not even police officers. That's a scary premise. It better be police officers because some of these, as we just heard from some of the experts, uh, that they're psychotic. Uh, and the last thing you want is somebody who is not trained dealing with somebody who is high, um, potentially, uh, has severe mental illness. There's a lot of issues here, a lot of them. Uh, let's go to Pat, line five. Pat, your thoughts. Hi, Rita. Hello. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. What do you think about all this, Pat, in terms of involuntarily taking people off the streets? Well, I have a personal story to share with you, if I may. Yeah, please. Um, I was in love with a man that had a mental illness. Um, He was diagnosed with schizophrenia, paranoid schizophrenia. Um, We were childhood sweethearts. We grew up in the same neighborhood in Brooklyn. And, you know, we fell in love. We got married. And he was diagnosed in his early 30s. And we had a child together. And we we had a wonderful life. But I saw things were changing with him. And... He actually signed himself into a hospital. Um, He didn't know what was happening. He said he was hearing voices. He was saying things. And and I couldn't understand what was happening. And they tried all this different medication. This was back in the 80s. This is quite a while ago. But I'm sure they're advanced now with medication and all that. But I really feel bad for people that suffer with that. Because being with my husband, he was a human being. And... There were times when he was lucid, and he he would communicate with me, and we, you know, we had a child. I have a daughter. She's grown now. He passed away, but um, it's a very complicated thing, Rita. It is. And, and by the way, as you know firsthand, um, you know, and I've had uh, friends who have had to deal with mental illness and their families, um, and I, you know, I've worked with a number of groups who are trying to help those with mental illness. Um, it is it, just like you said, it is so hard and so emotional when it's somebody you love or anybody, because you obviously want the best for, for these individuals. Um, and, uh, and thank you for sharing your story, Pat, because, um, it, it's so personal and you know, it so well. Uh, how important do you think it is, Pat, um, in the case? You, you mentioned that your your husband, that he was able to check himself in. Um, do you think that there are a lot of people out there that, that just can't, that, that won't and, and don't want to either, you know, or, or not cognizant enough to be aware of the need that they need to do it? Yes. So thank you, Rita. Thank you. Thank you. And and my prayers are with you, too. Wow, Pat. Thank you very, very much. Um, let's go to Frank uh, in New Jersey on line three. Frank, your thoughts after uh, hearing from Pat, too, who just lived it firsthand. Yeah, in, uh, you know, I'm familiar with the laws in Pennsylvania, and they currently have laws. It's called 302, yep. where they're able to take you into custody. And to be honest with you, they're very effective. They're, they're, they're very helpful in taking people that, 
are right on the edge and being able to diffuse it because you're allowed to hold them for 48 hours. It's not like you're stripping them of their rights, but you're giving them the opportunity to maybe get some help or counseling before they do something, you know, that they ultimately would regret. So it, uh, it's a law that's existed there for a long time. Let me, Frank, though, Frank, about it. let me ask you, though, in the 302, in the case of the 48-hour hold, um, in this case, they're talking about potentially longer because in many cases, 48 hours is not enough, you know, or somebody gets okay and they're back out on the street. You know, is, is that really fixing the problem? Maybe in some people it's enough, but in a lot of people, I would think they need a lot more than 48 hours. Well, what they do is, and that's your check and balance, right? In the 48 hours is the time to evaluate is longer time required, but it also gives the due process rights to the people that were taken in. So that it can't be a law that's abused by tyrannical government, while at the same time, you're addressing the immediate uh, mental health problem. And if those people need require a longer term, then they can be committed by a board of psychiatrists. So it really protects the rights of the individuals, but also addresses the mental health problem we have in this country. Yeah, 1,000%. Frank, thank you very, very much. You're terrific. Really appreciate it. Let's go to William in Florida. Line 8, William, your thoughts about it. Hey, Rita. Uh, in Florida, we have what's called a Baker Act here, and it's, and it's where the uh, a family member or uh, the police, can, can, if they feel somebody is a threat or a harm to themselves, they can commit them to the hospital for 72 hours. But after, even the, and if they, don't, if they don't communicate with the doctors, they release them. Okay, because there's people have the main reason back in the 80s when all of this started with with mental health and and the Reagan administration and Congress um, to to uh, uh, to that basically mentally ill people had rights. Okay, they began to close the hospitals. The ACLU stepped in. Okay, and fought for rights for the mentally ill. Okay, even though doctors were were committing them, and and one by one the hospitals began to close. And now we're stuck with this situation. And I guarantee you the ACLU is going to step in and say, you just can't snatch people off the street and say, well, I'm going to make the determination that you have to come in against your will, okay, if they haven't committed a violent crime or, or threatened a police officer or someone else. Who is it going to determine this? This is a very slippery slope. And I'm not saying we shouldn't help. The, I've been calling about mental health in this country uh, for years, and most of our mass shootings, these, the, all of the signs pointed to mental illness, but the families didn't step in. Absolutely. The well, friends didn't step that's in. That's what I the just said. The teachers didn't step Yes, you did. Absolutely. And, and I agree with you. You know, so it's, it's this is a, this, we, and now it's May Adams, which I follow very closely. I'm, I was born and raised in Brooklyn. Is he doing this for the actual mental health? Or is it to try to make the appearance of the city look better because there's less homeless on the streets? Okay, and 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 you know, I, I just I just don't buy it because first of all, it's very expensive to house more so a psychiatric patient than a person who's you know going in for surgery or, or sick. Okay, he's a specialized psychiatrist. The nurse that you had on, tremendous uh, uh, training she had. And, and spoke very well, right. okay, about future training. That's expensive. Who it is. Who's going to pay for this? Well, that's the point. You bring up a great point. Um, and that's where I was first asking, like, where's the budget? Because sadly, it is such a <laughs> widespread problem. 
And as you point out, it's not a a quick, you need a lot of like psychiatric, you need need extra things as that nurse was articulating so beautifully and powerfully how important all these layers are when you have somebody who is mentally ill. It's it's a, a whole extra process. And at the same time, you bring up a great point. Is this a vanity project to sort of make New York look cleaner and better um, when he's also at the same time, William, not doing anything, you know, with these recidivists, with these people who are committing crimes over and over again. I mean, I'm happy he's helping. Uh, you know, it's like if you're going to really try to help people and clean up New York, truly clean up New York, you got to do all these things. You can't just do one part. Um, so now, great points. What happens, Leo, what happens with, with drug and alcohol abuse uh, on the streets? OK, we just lost a deputy here uh, this week who was killed <sighs> with, by a drunk driver. Uh, not even 23 years old, not even on the force a year, okay? What a, a great kid, okay, who wanted to serve, serve his community, okay? This, the woman who killed him jumped two lanes on the interstate and came across the interstate. She had no idea what happened. She had just finished probation from a, a previous DUI. Wow. Now, and that's, and that's in Florida. That's in Florida. This is Florida. Now, does she qualify to be locked up and put away in a psych? psychiatric ward i don't know she deserves to be in jail yeah she's locked just, up for an awful long time i was gonna but, say but you bring up a great point like where do you put these people um who who decides who's a mentally ill or in that case somebody who is obviously uh repeatedly reckless and an endangerment to others and first of all she should be locked up i agree with you on that case but you had a great point because if you don't if you don't do all these layers at the same time, it's useless. If you just sort of target those who are mentally ill, you know, uh, strictly clearly mentally ill, like those on the streets with severe illness, and you don't do anything about these repeat offenders and they keep coming out, uh, how does that change society? How does that uh, help those individuals and also, by the way, help the rest of us too because that woman is clearly a danger to society, as are a lot of others. Great points, William. Thank you very much. We're going to continue with your calls after the break. And we're also going to be talking about Donald Trump's meeting at Mar-a-Lago with Kanye and others. That after the break. The Rita Cosby Show on the Red Apple Podcast Network. And still a lot of criticism of former President Trump for having dinner with his friend Kanye West, now known as Ye, uh, and also a number of other very controversial figures, uh, white nationalist Nick Fuentes and a number of others. First off, here is Kanye West, who was on a podcast, and he repeated what Trump had to say, that he didn't know who some of these other guys were. Take a listen. How is it that Nick ends up invited to this dinner, and and what happened? Well, he... He was rolling with me. I was impressed with Nick, and I was like, just come to the dinner. And we had uh, Karen Giorno uh, pick us up from the airport. And there was a lot of back and forth. There's another gentleman named Jamar Montgomery that was with us. It's a, uh, he's an engineer at Boeing. And we sat there, and it was like when Trump came in, we were... I said, do you want to sit alone? He's like, no, bring your friends in. So a big thing is like Trump had no idea who Nick Fuentes was. Well, despite that, people like Senator Chuck Schumer are using it to bash President Trump. Last week, it was reported that Donald Trump, the former president of the United States and Republican standard bearer, had dinner 
at Mar-a-Lago with a notorious bigot who fancies himself a leading thinker on the extreme edges of the hard right, embracing everything from white nationalism to anti-Semitism to outright Holocaust denial. For a former president to sit down and have dinner with a high-profile anti-Semite is disgusting and dangerous. To give an anti-Semite even the smallest platform, much less an audience over dinner, is pure evil. So what are your thoughts about the responses from a number of people, even people in the Republican Party? Uh, Mike Pence basically said that Trump should apologize for it. President Trump said uh, he thinks, as we were talking about troubled people, that, uh, yay, Kanye West is troubled. And he didn't know who these other people were. He does know Kanye West. And that's why he met with them uh, to try to, quote, give him advice. What are your thoughts, everybody? one 800 848 uh, let's go to Jeff, uh, line eight. Jeff, your thoughts about this? Uh, Rita, you do a terrific job always. You know, you're my favorite, really. Thank you, I, Jeff. Uh, and about 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 Trump, Listen, I never heard of this guy, Nick Fuentes. And uh, this was uh, a, a situation. It was kind of like a pop-up situation. And Trump said, okay, Kanye, come up. Trump knows the guy has some issues. But you know what? He's not going to turn his back on him. So not, it wasn't the best thing, but um, from my experience, and and I worked in New York all my life. I met Trump years ago in the seventies. He was a young man, um, and, and all my I was a chauffeur, Rita, uh, driving limousines. Yep. And, and and real quick, Jeff, did you find? I I mean, I've met him many times. I've never found him to be anti-Semitic, and never. and and just like you said, also, it was uh, the way he describes it. He's meeting his old friend. And then this guy brings these other people around. Um, and he's already said it's terrible. This is the Rita Cosby Show on the Red Apple Podcast Network. The Rita Cosby Show presents Support Our Heroes. And in tonight's Support Our Heroes segment, where we honor our great military and also their families, a beautiful story coming from New Canaan, Connecticut, where a World War II veteran from New Canaan is getting ready to turn 100 years old. In just about a week from his 100th birthday, William Jones was recognized by Senator Richard Blumenthal for his lifetime of public service. The senator said that William has truly given of himself to his community and to his nation. William served in the Pacific on the aircraft carrier USS Essex during World War II. Then he went on to become a 31-year veteran of the New Canaan Police Department, retiring as a lieutenant. He is also proud to be, get this, the longest-serving volunteer firefighter in New Canaan history and to have trained at the FBI Academy in Quantico, Virginia, in 1965. Wow, what a great career he's had. Uh, Jones, by the way, William Jones, was deeply honored to be recognized for all of his achievements, saying, I appreciate it. Thank you very, very much from the bottom of my heart. Bravo to him and all of our great veterans, and of course, to all of their families, and a happy 100th birthday to William Jones of New Canaan, Connecticut. Well, we are talking about all of the controversy now surrounding the dinner meeting that President Trump had with his old friend Kanye West, who has definitely made some very, uh, I think, distasteful comments of late. 
And President Trump agreed to meet with him at Mar-a-Lago. The way that we're hearing from different individuals is then Kanye West shows up uh, with these other uh, lascivious characters, if you will, Nick Fuentes, um, uh, anti-Semitic, white nationalist, and some others. And they go over and say hi to Trump, and they have some dinner with him. And so Trump has come out and said he didn't know who Nick Fuentes was, but many people are saying that he needs to come out stronger and condemn the rhetoric of these people and that he never should have had dinner to begin with with them. I contend I don't think he should have had dinner even with Kanye West. Yes, they are old friends. I think just given all the latest controversy right now, it's not a smart move. But I also think I could see what the president is saying, that he met with him as an old friend, trying to give him advice, maybe trying to help him, saying that he's a troubled guy and trying to help him and give him advice to straighten out his life and uh, change his distasteful rhetoric. And then these other people, he didn't even know who they were. Um, So I I also understand that issue. And he has come out and said that, you know, anti-Semitism, there's no place for it whatsoever. And he said he didn't know. Uh, this Nick Fuentes guy and some of the others. He just knew Kanye West. But here is some of the liberal media really, really slamming hard um, and basically not just painting President Trump with a broad brush, but basically the whole Republican Party saying they're a bunch of racists. This is according to Mara Gay of The New York Times, who, of course, was on MSNBC. Take a listen. We have to kind of go back to the historical origins of the modern day Republican Party, which does not mean that every single Republican uh, subscribes to these beliefs, quite the opposite. But yet the origin of the Republican Party, as we know it today, uh, really has to do with a backlash to civil rights. And so any understanding of that Republican Party without that historical uh, backlash to civil rights is incomplete. And so while, of course, a majority, we hope, of Republicans uh, do not espouse these views, I think we can safely say that. Uh, you know, that thread has always been there. And there has always been a tension between the way that it is, it, it is expressed, excuse me, what's acceptable, uh, you know, what kind of language can we use around it? How close do you get to um, some, of the, some of the grosser parts of that base versus just a, a plain conservative economic agenda? And so that tension has always been there. The difference is that Donald Trump has brought forth in id, if, if you will, and I'm certainly not the first one to say this, that is really like the, the darkest face of that. Yeah. And I think it's really up to the Republican Party to excise that, confront it once and for all and move forward. But they do not appear in a position to do so. And joining us now is Liz Burney. She is the Director of Research and Special Projects for ZOA, the Zionist Organization of America, which honored former President Trump earlier this month with a big award at their annual gala. Liz, you know, it's great to have you here. I got to get your reaction to just so many people, of course, um, making comments about President Trump meeting with Kanye West and this other guy, uh, Nick Fuentes. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on. It's an honor to to be here, Rita. Um, Yeah, I I guess we're we're some of the people, we actually made some of those comments, and I know that there's been a lot of press about our comments because we just honored Trump uh, two weeks ago at our gala, our wonderful gala. It was wonderful to see you there. Um, you know, our uh, 
Kanye West and and Nick, you know, brought along Nick, as you know, brought along Nick Fuentes to this meeting with Trump and Kanye, and uh, has you know sort of a fairly substantial history of anti-Semitic comments. And Fuentes is a white supremacist, uh, uh, you know, hater. I mean, it, it was probably uh, fairly shocking to Trump that uh, a, a an African-American mogul would bring along a white supremacist who has said things like that uh, it's, uh, I think it's, it's disgusting or despicable for white and black people to sleep together. I mean, he's, he's a real racist in addition to being anti-Semite. Uh, Fuentes, uh, you know, one of the most horrific things, uh, yeah, I mean, he said so many horrific things. One of them was that he uh, compared uh, all the people who were killed in the Holocaust through Cookie Monster baking cookies. Oh, um, it's disgusting. It, it, His it, comments really, are just reprehensible. Totally reprehensible. And, uh, you know, Trump has done such wonderful things for the Jewish people. He certainly deserved the award that we gave him for being uh, the best president ever uh, for Israel and the Jewish people. He's done so much to combat anti-Semitism. Uh, and, you know, one of the things that he did was that was particularly important to ZOA was his uh, executive order on combating anti-Semitism, which strengthened Title VI of the Civil Rights Act to protect Jewish students uh, from uh, anti-Semitism and harassment and discrimination on college campuses. As you may know, ZOA works uh, in that area. We have a Center for Law and Justice, uh, which defends uh, and helps Jewish students who are being harassed on college campuses, and we had fought a six-year battle to make sure that the Civil Rights Act uh, included Jewish students and the Jewish students' rights to have a, a safe campus and a harassment-free campus. And by the way, Liz, I mean, you guys, I just want everybody to know, ZOA has done such extraordinary work, um, you know, defending Israel and fighting anti-Semitism. You guys have been really on the front lines. And I think about also some of the other things, too, um, that Trump was honored for at this gala um, that, that was so beautiful that all of you had, and it was just so inspiring. And one of the other things, as many people know, I mean, the Abraham Accords, um, moving the U.S. Embassy, I think about, um, you know, in Israel to Jerusalem. I mean, there are many achievements. Where Where does ZOA stand in terms of um, the award that you gave him, you still obviously believe that he deserved the award. And and I've met President Trump. I've known him for years. I do not believe in any shape or form he's anti-Semitic. Um, I think he has always been an enormous supporter of the Jewish people. Where does ZOA stand? Oh, ZOA st- still believes that he deserved the award, but at the same time, we believe uh, that he should condemn uh, Kanye West and Nick Fuentes. Uh, you know, we believe you know, I, I think it's reasonable to believe what Trump said, that he didn't know who Nick Fuentes was when um, he was brought to the dinner by Kanye West. Uh, but now he does know who he is. And uh, it's very important for the president to condemn them. I mean, the president himself uh, said in his uh, 2019 State of the Union address how important it is to condemn those who, who spread the uh, vile creed of anti-Semitism um, and that everybody has to condemn it and condemn those who spread it. And, you know, we want Trump to live up to his word. Um, but, you know, at the same time, we still believe he was entitled to the award. In addition to the items that both of us just mentioned, 
uh, Trump deported the last known Nazi war, war criminal from the U.S. after previous administra- administrations failed to do so for 14 years. Um, he stopped. This is extremely important. He stopped sending U.S. tax dollars to the Palestinian Authority because the Palestinian Authority pays hundreds of millions of dollars a year of pay-to-slave payments and pensions to Arab terrorists to murder Jews. This is so despicable. Um, he signed the Sit-Taylor Force Act um, to also end these payments. Um, he ended U.S. funding of the Corrupt United Nations Relief and Works Act uh, uh, agency, UNRWA, because UNRWA hides rockets for Hamas, Hamas and teaches Arab children to hate and aspire to murder Jews. And by the way, Biden has restarted all of that. Uh, Biden has, uh, if you look at uh, the White House uh, statement and uh, fact sheet in July, it's been one, uh, the Biden administration has already given $1.5 billion to Palestinians and to UNRWA, which is, which is shameful. This, this ends up uh, killing Jews and Americans. Uh, wow. Wow. That's by the way, and everybody, we are talking to Liz Burney. Uh, she's the director of research and special projects for ZOA, the Zionist Organization of America. You know, the other thing, too, uh, before I let you go, Liz, is also um, I think about his children. I mean, for people to now come out and say that President Trump is anti-Semitic, and I agree with you, I think he absolutely needs to come out and even more forcefully, you know, come out and condemn, of course, anybody who's anti-Semitic, um, and especially uh, the guys who were visiting with him there at Mar-a-Lago um, and had met with them, whatever the circumstances were. But I think about also Ivanka. I mean, his his own daughter converted to Judaism. His grandkids are Jewish, right? That's right. And he was fine with that. He talks about his beautiful Jewish grandchildren. And he talks about the Shabbat, the Sabbath, and what a beautiful time of peace it is. I mean, this is somebody who was philo-Semitic. And, uh, you know, and made so many beautiful speeches against anti-Semitism and did so much to combat anti-Semitism. And, you know, ending the, the Iran deal, I mean, this, this is something that saved Jewish lives, saved the whole Middle East. I mean, and, and during, during, as you may recall, during uh, President Trump's speech at our gala, he said this is the most, probably the most important of all many things he did, the most important thing he did. And also killing uh, uh, Qasem Soleimani, who was responsible for so many, for killing so many Americans and was endangering American and Jewish lives. Um, this this was extremely important, um, you know. And also recognizing Israel's sovereignty over the Golan Heights, um, you know, in, in you know from uh, you know pre nineteen sixty seven from forty eight to sixty seven, the uh, Syria used to uh, use the Golan Heights to shoot at the Jewish farmers below. And this yeah, there's areas- a long. No, you're right. There's a long, long list. So, what's your message tonight, Liz, to people who are saying, "Oh, you know, he's anti-Semitic. He's anti this." What What are your thoughts on behalf of ZOA? Okay, well, he's he's definitely not anti-Semitic, um, and you know, he's been targeted that way. You know, the biggest lie about uh, him being anti-Semitic is this idea that he said that. Nazis are very fine people, which is absolutely untrue. It it was a statement that was taken out of context. He wasn't talking about Nazis. And in fact, in the very next uh, sentence, he said, and I'm not talking about Nazis and white supremacists because they should be absolutely condemned. So this this sentence was taken out of context and used by Biden and other people uh, to, to smear Trump. But, you know, 
particularly because he's been smeared this way, it's even more important for him to, to come out and condemn uh, Kanye's anti-Semitism and uh, the anti-Semitism and, and white supremacy and, and racism of, uh, of Nick Fuentes. Um, by the way, you know, we as BOA also believes that we've also called for President Biden and ex-President Obama and Clinton to to condemn the people that they the anti-Semites that they've piled around with. Um, and I think that's very important. I don't want that to get lost. Uh, as, as you know, there's a smiling picture of uh, Obama together with Farrakhan, who is the lead, probably one of the leading anti-Semites in the country. Uh, and uh, which Biden has, and Biden has, ne- uh, I mean, Biden, no, Obama has never uh, turned around and said anything about about that, and uh, never condemned Farrakhan. He ha- actually also helped uh, Farrakhan organize a march march in Washington. Uh, Biden has praised members of the squad who are anti, you know, these anti-Semitic members of the squad. Uh, Pelosi appeared on the cover of Rolling Stone magazine with members of the squad, and these are the people who promote boycotts against Jews and defunding uh, defunding uh, the uh, Iron Dome, which saves lives, um, and at every opportunity smears the Jewish state, um, smears Jews with all kinds with all kinds of canards. Um, and so these ex-presidents and current president and, and uh, Pelosi. And, and uh, also, also uh, the Secretary of State Blinken. He just brought uh, one of the squad members uh, to to Qatar with him, honoring her that way. Um, you know, th- this is unconscionable that they're praising and working together with with the worst anti-Semites. So this also has to be done. Uh, you know, it has to come from all sides. The combating anti-Semitism. Yeah, that's a very powerful point uh, because it shouldn't be tolerated in any shape or form. Very powerful discussion. Really important to have you here. Liz Burney with the ZOA, the Zionist Organization of America, which is such an extraordinary organization that does so much uh, to defend Israel and the Jewish people. Thank you for being here. Really great to have you here. Thank you so much, Rita. And if people want to read more about our views on this, they uh, they could go to our website, zoa.org. Um, and uh, we have several, uh, you know, quite, quite, quite a, a lot of information on the website uh, on all of these issues. Thank you so much, Liz, for being with us again, ZOA.org. What are your thoughts, everybody? You just heard from the Zionist Organization of America that just recently honored Trump uh, saying, listen, look at his history. He has been a great friend to Israel, uh, but also saying that he should obviously condemn meeting with individuals like this, even if, you know, some of it was by accident, as according, it seems like with this Nick Fuentes guy, uh, 1-800-848-9222, 1-800-848-9222. When we come back, I'll take your calls. The Rita Cosby Show. And you just heard from the Zionist Organization of America, which recently honored President Trump, saying that, listen, his history is one of supporting the Jewish people. They gave him one of their highest awards, the Theodore Herzl Gold Medallion Award, uh, but also saying that it's important that he and others uh, repeatedly condemn the comments and actions of people like 
also Kanye West, yay, and Nick Fuentes and some of these others. Um, you know, I think that that's a powerful, powerful statement. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Norman on line one from Brooklyn. Norman, your thoughts about all this? I thought about you because I know you wanted to talk about uh, Nick yeah, Fuentes. Listen, I'm I'm going to keep it short because this uh, there's a lot I could get into with this. Okay. Uh, the purpose of my phone call is just to expose this Nick Fuentes, okay, and his group, what he calls American First. They are a false flag group. They are designed to mingle with legitimate conservative groups to smear them with mud. He is among my group, which is the New York Freedom Rally, Teachers for Choice, legitimate, multicultural, loving groups. Okay, he is a paid for by Soros. Okay. Um, oh, that's it. So, evidence. so let me. That's an interesting point. You believe that? What was this like a setup, or do you think Kanye West knew who he was bringing, or do you no, think Kanye West is? Kanye West is certifiably insane. And uh, this guy. This that guy I agree with ha- you. Go ahead. Yeah. Yes. And this guy, this guy is a hanger on. Okay. This guy's a little pissant who's got a podcast in Florida. Okay. Um, but this little pissant, okay, has got money to transport 60 of his followers who look like um, uh, a central casting for a white supremacist. Bring them to New York, put mega hat looking hats on them, have them scream America first, have signs which say uh, down with the mandates while they're all masked and wearing uh, sunglasses. And on the flip side, things like blacks cause COVID. They mingle among legitimate groups. These they're Antifa. Oh, this that's is, interesting. This is Soros. No, well, yeah, I, no. Let me Soros. ask you. Hang on one second. because yeah. That's an interesting point. Are you basically saying that, what, maybe this was a setup to kind of get Trump, if you will? Yes, and then my yes. question is, how do you know he's Soros-funded? Because he's Antifa? Because, okay, all of people in my group, people like, I don't want to say their names, but there are people in my group, okay, well, I want to, I want to ask them first, okay, who've told me, uh, okay, they, by their actions, they, they come to our rally, they look at the dates, like on Telegram of New York Freedom Rally. Then they show up. Then they cause havoc. Then they release statements afterwards. Thank you, I'm going to say this person, for coming to our rally. That's what they do. They, 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 they change the whole paradigm. They, they, they're disruptors. Okay, they go to pro-life rallies. They do the same thing at pro-life rallies. Oh, that's interesting. Norm, you got to find out. You got to find out if indeed this was because, boy, would that be interesting if it turns out that this was sort of like uh, one big setup. And, you know, like you just said, that uh, Kanye kind of is like, uh, you know, in Looney Kazooieville. And this was sort of like a a setup act by this guy who clearly says some very horrible, disgusting rhetoric, uh, which I'm sure you and I both agree with uh, should thousand percent be condemned. It's disgusting. But find out. Um, and, and let me know, Norm. Call me back. Let me find out. Really interesting stuff. Norm, thank you very much. Let's go to Deirdre in uh, New Jersey, line six. Deirdre, uh, first of all, what are, what are your thoughts just about uh, Trump and this meeting? And it was interesting what Norm was just saying. Right. And I don't believe he knew this Qantas 
person at all. Didn't know he was showing up with Kanye. Yeah, no, and and that's what and that's what he said. He said, "Listen, I was at Mar-a-Lago. Uh, that you know, I was having meeting with Kanye. He's an old friend, troubled guy, trying to help him." That I could see happening, and then these other guys were with him. Uh, it's not like this Nick Fuentes. Um, you know, if you saw him walking out, you'd know who Kanye is, I think. But you probably most people, I'd say ninety nine point nine nine nine, might not know who the crazy Nick Fuentes is. Right, and I think Kanye, unfortunately, lost his mind when he lost his mother, and I think that's when it all switch his mind up. But no, would Trump be anti-Semitic? Absolutely not. He recognized Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. He knows that. And I know in his heart, he knows if America breaks away from Israel, we are definitely done. We are the Gentiles. Well, and by the way, no, no doubt President Trump loves the Jewish state, appreciates the Jewish state, um, and I do think he needs to come out even harder against this Nick Fuentes guy. But it would be interesting if there was some sort of setup here as Norm's talking. Uh, we're going to talk more about this tomorrow, everybody. I see your calls. The Rita Cosby Show on the Red Apple Podcast Network. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.